Very excited about this series that we're in. Anytime that we get an opportunity to really kind of put our focus in on Jesus, I think it's time well served. Um, and following the, the few um, messages that have already been given, of, I think Pastor Miata went over the Good Shepherd, Pastor Jermaine, he, he was the I Am or Face to Face and the Great disrupt, Disruptor from Pastor Corey. Um, today, what we're going to focus on is the title that Jesus actually used the most for himself, the Son of Man. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 26. We, um, I'll be preaching from verses 57. Um, I'm going to read 57 to 68 to give context. And then I'll pull out some scriptures in there that I think are going to help us to understand why Je Jesus chose to use the title of Son of Man. Um, most of us don't even realize he used that title or what it actually means. So it's going to be good to explore that. I know for many of us, even you may even have some family members who think Christ is actually his last name, like he was born to Mr. and Mrs. Christ. But Christ wasn't the name that Jesus himself used. It was um, the son of man. And so we'll explore that. Um, I've, I was doing some extra talking, give you an opportunity to, to turn your device. Maybe you have a physical Bible with you to Matthew um, chapter 26. Um, as I read the scripture, would love for you to read it along with me. Or of course, it may be on the screen. Verse 57, then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at last two came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. What is it? Who is it that struck you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to know you better. Daddy, I'm going to be used as a tool by you to communicate. And so I ask that you move me aside, any ego, anything that would not allow me to be a tool for you to communicate the message you have. Please use me in that fashion. Help us to study. May we be transformed and made more into the image of Christ as we look at these scriptures. And pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Son of man. You know, like kind of approaching um, this topic... I'm, I, um, I, I, I was reminded of a book that I really love. Um, it's a book. It's, it's not necessarily, the book is not about the Son of Man, but the title is something that I think was really kind of 
will help us to understand why Jesus chose to use this title on a consistent basis. In the New Testament, it is used 81 times, and I think like 78 times it's used by Jesus himself. It's the way that he described himself. He acknowledged that he was the, the Messiah in certain ways. He, he would acknowledge Christ and Son of God, but he didn't refer to himself that way. Normally, it was the Son of Man. Why would he choose to use that title, and what does it mean? And that's where this book comes in. It's a book by a guy named Dallas Willard, and it's called The Divine Conspiracy. And Dallas Willard is a great teacher. His books I would commend to you to read. It's not an easy read all the time. You gotta, he was a philosophy professor, and so he can, yeah, you got to take your time with it, but it, it, it's ultimately some really good stuff. But one of the things he says about the divine conspiracy is how does an omnipresent God allow for man to have free will in choosing him or not? Because God could make himself available in such a way that we can't deny it. But because he wanted a love relationship with us as opposed to kind of something forced upon you, there's this way that he conceals himself. And Jesus was, he was on the earth. I think that he really kind of chose this title as a way of concealing who he was. There were certain expectations within the culture that we're going to look at a little bit here in the, in the passage that, that, that kind of gave kind of this assumption of who the Messiah really was. So if Jesus was to just kind of walk around claiming that he was the Messiah, it could lead some people in the wrong direction, create some hope that would, would ultimately lead to a heartache because he wouldn't fulfill their version of it. The Son of Man, this title... Um, is used it, it, for those who are during this time frame when Matthew was writing, the, the term the son of man or son of man would have been a common term. It wouldn't have been something that jumped out to them as extra religious. In fact, many of us, maybe if you've read through the gospel and you've seen Jesus say the son of man um, has no place to stay. He has nowhere to lay his head as he says in Matthew 8. We just kind of read that and say, well, he's just referring to his humanity and we keep it moving with the, 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 the subject matter of the text that we're reading. We don't think much of it. And we're thinking about this divine conspiracy or this, this kind of title or just this, this kind of thought around the divine conspiracy. I think Jesus knew that many would kind of just glance at the title that he used and not think much of it. They would just hear it. As we, we kind of look at the passage, verse 57, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had gathered. What we have here is a scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has already betrayed Jesus. He's brought these soldiers with him to grab Jesus. He's betrayed him with a kiss, and he's taken Jesus off. If you, if you recount the story, Peter actually is bold, man. He, he, he kind of jumps to the defense of Jesus and he decides to cut. Now, you know, he wasn't maybe the greatest swordsman and he ends up cutting the man's ear off and maybe he was trying to do something else. I don't know. But I do know that he had some kind of fierce kind of like, yo, I'm, I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. Let's get it kind of attitude on the inside of him where he was willing to go to war with these soldiers. 
You know what's really funny? It's that Jesus, who takes the high priest's servant's ear and he puts it back on and heals him, the folks who were there who witnessed it, they were the very ones who were carrying the Son of Man to Caiaphas' house. And if you're familiar with this passage, as you've heard me read it, it's really kind of this kangaroo, kangaroo court scene where they're, they're, they're trying to figure out charges and ways to be able to kill Jesus. And these men just take Jesus to this court scene. Kind of no word, no, no defense of the innocent or anything like that. Surely these men have heard the rumors that have been going throughout all of Israel of the one who is a healer. He's already healed Lazarus at this point. So he's raised people from the dead. He's restored eyesight. Surely this group of people have heard of him, but they're apathetic towards it. And I think that's a part of what Jesus, why he uses the title. Because if you look, at, look it up, it's just a human man. The term is used a lot in the book of Ezekiel to just kind of distinguish. God is talking to the prophet and saying, hey, you're just a man, son of man. Psalm 8, one of my, my favorite psalms in, 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 in all of scripture. And in, in, in the psalmist, he says that who is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. The psalmist distinguishing that there's an otherness, there's a greatness to God that is different than my own. I'm just a man. I believe these soldiers and many in our culture today, and maybe some here in this room, we see Jesus as just a man, maybe a spiritual guru. Maybe something or someone where we have some history and, 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 and I've heard some stuff about him, but not enough to really care. I wouldn't expect that there would be many of you here on a Wednesday that felt that way. But you do recognize that there is a culture. Even though there are many who profess a relationship with Christ, it's really he's just a man. He's just kind of this spiritual guy. There's no real influence on their life. And you just kind of go along with whatever the culture is saying, whatever the culture is doing, whatever my bosses say, hey, I'm just here on the job. There's no real concern. There's no real relationship. Jesus used the title, the son of man, that gives opportunity for people to have that because he wants you to have free will. He would prefer for you to have relationship with him. He would prefer for our neighbors to have relationship with him, but he also has given free will. So he uses a title that's really common and, and you look at his experiences. His experience is that of a human being in the flesh while he was here on the earth. He got hungry. He, he sweated. He, 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 he was reprimanded by his parents, I would imagine, when he was in the, the temple at 12 years old and, and they couldn't find him as they had left. They, they probably reprimanded him when, he, when, he, when, when they finally got back to him and he had to say, what did, you, what did you think I would be doing? He was just a man. He was just the carpenter's son. The son of man is a term that kind of relates to just kind of the common human being. His Jesus being fully man and fully God, it allows him to kind of express his human 
Ness in such a way that others would be able to recognize it, but it would also give them opportunity if they so choose or chose to overlook him. Secondly, there's a way that Jesus uses the Son of Man, and that is a way of trying to kind of curb certain expectations. Let's look at verse 58. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Here in this kind of in this space where where Peter has kind of seen the event starting to unfold, Jesus having he having him having been with Jesus over the last three years. He really is confronted with an image of Christ that he had that I don't think he recognized until he was actually in the garden. See, like if you don't really like kind of capture context, then you may just overlook it. But Peter is following at a distance. But just a few weeks earlier, he, <laughs> my man said it's so boring, man. <laughs> my bad, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that one. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> no, no. So I'm, I apologize. I shouldn't have done it. Um, Peter, he's following at a distance because now there's something different. Remember, when the soldiers came after Judas had kissed Jesus on the cheek and they were ready to take Jesus off, Peter was the one that pulled out his sword, was ready to die. But now he's following at a distance. What has happened in the span of maybe an hour or two? What has taken place that has caused him to be kind of dislodged from this intimate relationship that he had with the Son of Man? What has caused him to back off? And I really think it's the internal image that we can have of who we think God is supposed to be. There's a way that we can craft who God is supposed to be inwardly that isn't always confronted because we, we have relationship with Jesus. Peter walked with him. Peter was actually the one who said, hey, you're the son of God. He was commended from hearing from God. And, and when the others didn't hear, he walked on the water. Peter had a great relationship with Jesus. But all the while, he harbored a certain vision of who Jesus was supposed to be. You, you, you really get a kind of a sense of it. If you look over at John chapter 6, is the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus, he, after feeds the 5,000, he goes away because the people wanted to make him king. Peter was a man of his time. And the cultural view of who the Messiah was supposed to be was based on thoughts of David. That this Messiah would come and he would conquer Rome who has their foot on our throat. Where we have tax collectors coming and robbing us on a consistent basis. Where there are soldiers. Unprovoked at times maybe. Because they were having a bad day. Would do heinous things to us. That we've been stripped of our sovereignty. Peter was a man of his time. And he believed that this is who the Messiah was supposed to be. In that same chapter in Matthew chapter 16, where, where Peter identifies Jesus as the son of God, he would later be rebuked by Jesus 
Because Jesus was trying to let him know that the son of man had to die. See, Jesus was using that title as a way of helping to curb this kind of cultural picture that he had of who the Messiah was supposed to be. He was trying to let him know that, no, the, the son of man is the suffering servant. He's the, he's the one that is going to die. He is the one that Isaiah was speaking of. He used the title to help try to bring, pull back Peter from what he thought. And I think that's a challenge for us today. Because there is a cultural way that we begin to think of God. Not we begin. I think it's something we just catch. You know, some of you may, may know in July of 2020, I was stabbed and I ended up in the hospital. And I bring that up because I remember being kind of having to wrestle with this idea that I thought God would protect me from any issues like this. I mean, I was teaching a class. I could see maybe if I was out sinning and then, you know, okay, all right. I, I understand, God, I shouldn't have been doing that. And that's the, you know, I'm, I'm suffering. The con- but I'm actually teaching a class. I'm trying to help people to come into the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm attacked. And I didn't know, I didn't believe that God had given me authority in that space. And I'm questioning, I'm, 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 I'm wrestling inwardly because I had this inward picture of a God who protects his kids. And I only looked at the scriptures that seemed to commend that idea and didn't take note of like a Matthew 10 where he is telling those apostles that, hey man, it's about to get really, really bad out here. But you're going to suffer. But you're going to run from town to town. Some would die. How about you? Jesus is using the the, the term son of man because he wants you to know that you don't control him. He is not a God made in your image. He's not a God that's created by you. But there's a humility that you have to have in recognizing that. The reason why I bring up Matthew 16 is because it's way before verse 58. Why did Peter still hold on to this idea that Jesus was that Davidic king that is going to take over in the here and now? Because he didn't hear well when Jesus rebuked him. He didn't hear well. When he said, you are concerned with the things of man and not the things of God. I get an opportunity um, every Wednesday to to spend some time with some brothers in prayer. Pastor JC is one of the guys that gets on that call and and we pray. We're praying for you men. And um, and it was a profound thing that he said today that there is individualism that we hold on to in particular in America. And I could feel something inside me like, no, no, don't, don't, don't sever that. Like I, I, there, there's a way that we feel like we are the ones that should captain the ship of our lives and the direction in which it should go. And Jesus is saying, look, the son of man, he's using that title. He's trying to help you to recognize that, no, that, that, that actually isn't it. You, you, you have the wrong picture of me. Because what happens when that real image, when that real Jesus, you you get confronted with him not meeting those expectations is that you follow at a distance. 
You don't feel comfortable really talking about Jesus at your job because uh, a little skepticism may have crept in because that's not the Jesus that I know. I don't really want to lay down my life. So when I hear HB talking about tithes and offering, that's for somebody else. Because I don't know because money is tight this week. I don't live in such a way that I've taken the hands of control of my life off and I've given it over to the one that we call Lord. That's just religious language. I follow at a distance where it's safe. All this talk about going into D.C. and the eight wards of D.C., I follow at a distance. Where can I be safe? Where can I maintain my comfort? There's a challenge that we get presented with in particular because many of us are kind of in this space of financial security where it's almost kind of like we don't really need God. I mean, we know we need God, but as long as that paycheck is being cut every two weeks, I'm not in a panic state or anything like that. I don't, you know, I don't really live moving, have my being in him like that as, you know, as long as they are cutting the check. The son of man, Jesus is using that title to help Peter and the culture to change their perspective of who the Messiah is. I think when we read scripture, when we're going through the gospels, we need to allow that to challenge us and our perception of who Jesus is and who he is in our life. Because I think we all have kind of a bent towards perceiving or receiving Christ in an inaccurate way. And when we're reading our Bible every day, if we can hold on to this idea that, Lord Jesus, I need you to reveal yourself afresh to me. I think it can help us avoid kind of these erroneous images that lead to us following at a distance. I think this particular passage and kind of like in my final thought is that Jesus is revealing himself kind of truly as we get to kind of like the, the meat, the crux of the situation here where Caiaphas has kind of set up this kangaroo court. You have many witnesses who have come up and they're saying all kinds of crazy things, but nothing is sticking. They can't stick anything to Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. You can't stick anything to Jesus. Finally, somebody gets up and says, hey, he said he was going to destroy the temple in three days. He'll raise it back up. And, and I think Caiaphas had had enough. I think Matthew here is just kind of giving us a shorthand version of the meeting. I think Caiaphas is fed up like this is going nowhere. And so he's he's kind of frustrated and he he finally he he says something with much passion. Thank you, sir. Um, saying to Jesus, um, I adjure you, this is verse 63, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Let's just cut to the chase. Jesus, understanding his role, he says, you know what, it's time to pull the veil off. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And we see Caiaphas kind of tear his clothes and they punch him and they, they accuse him of blasphemy. Do you know why they're kind of spazzing out like that on him? Jesus is in a room full of kind of Bible scholars. 
Everybody, he wouldn't necessarily expect to, to understand what he said, but he certainly expected them to know exactly what he was saying. And it would be something similar to, hopefully you guys are familiar with Star Wars. If you was at a Star Wars convention and Pastor Tellus was there and I say, I am your father. <laughs> he would know that I'm Darth Vader. And I'm treating him like he's Luke. And he would recall kind of the scene from the return of the Jedi. Because it was a phrase that was pretty popular. That is just kind of a bucket that opens up a whole span of thought. Jesus certainly believed and knew and it proved out to be true that Caiaphas and the rest of the leadership there understood that Jesus was making a reference back to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 is a really important chapter. But it's one of those chapters that, man, there's like leopards with wings. There's bears with ribs in their mouths. It's, it's just ten horns. One horn is talking louder than the rest of the horns. And it's kind of like hard to know what exactly is going on. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to even try to attempt to give you a full explanation of what's going on. But the overview is, is that Daniel has this dream. And ultimately, as you read through the chapter, the, there's an angel that gives Daniel the interpretation that he sees four beasts. And these four beasts represent kingdoms. And then in his dream, he begins to see in verse 9, he says... In, in, I'm in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. He says, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its will, wheels were burning fire. He sees this courtroom scene, this kind of divine scene where God himself, God the Father, has come and taken his seat on the throne. And as his dream is kind of unfolding, what we see is that this fire seems to represent some type of anger because judgment is given to the beast. And the beast is destroyed. We jump down to verse 13 and it says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What Caiaphas understood was that Jesus was making a proclamation to this particular position. He was saying that the son of man is actually divine. Amen. And even though you Caiaphas are a part of a system that seems to feel like it can judge me. Really what you are doing is bringing me to my exaltation. Because when Jesus says now you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds. He is saying it is taking place now. That there is something that is changing. That the kingdoms of the world that were represented by this dream of Daniel, they are coming to an end. Because I am stepping into the position of the one that rides on the clouds. 
that will receive worship, that whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion will never end. This glorious son of man revealed himself in that scene. I believe that that version of the son of man is who Peter encountered as his, through his ascension. It was in that time when Jesus was teaching about the kingdom as we read about in the first chapters of Acts. That he, he encountered that and he accepted and he received that glorious son of man. And he got on his plan. He no longer tried to hold him to his own individual plan and with his image and with his thoughts that the Messiah was supposed to be like. He died to himself. He picked up his cross and he followed his king. That is what we are being called into. That is what we are being called into here at Grace Covenant Church. We die. Man, there, is way, there are ways that we look at TV and we see what the world offers as the good life. And we think, man, I would love to do that. And we pursue that. And we say, God, will you open the door for me to be able to do this? God, will you give me this job? Will you do that? I mean, we are staying in a space where we're holding on to this image of a God who is under our control. But when we accept this glorious son of man, it changes our perspective. Often I, I find myself looking at the news and, man, there's a recklessness of or a devaluing of life that I seem to see a lot where it just seems like someone's getting carjacked and, and they're being killed. Another high school has been shot up. Maybe I'm seeing something on, on, on one of my social media um, feeds or something like that. There, there's, there are wars going on where it seems like one, the, 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 the Russian leader just seems like he is a land grab. I, I mean, I don't know all the political implications of what's going on, but it, it seems like he doesn't care about the life of the Ukrainians. And there, there, there is a way where it can feel helpless. Like I can be distracted for a while, but then there's a reality of what this world is like. Daniel certainly felt that. Having been a part of those that were captured in Jerusalem and, 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 and Babylon had conquered him and, and brought him. And he's living not only, this isn't the first king he's living under, this is the second king he's living under. And he's hearing about how they're going out and conquering. And, and this kingdom has become the beast that he's seeing in the dreams. It seemed like there was a hopelessness. Daniel shares this dream. I believe the Holy Spirit had him to write out this dream because it would help to give hope that though things aren't right right now, they will be someday. What we see in Matthew is that that day has come. But in God's infinite wisdom, he has allowed us to become a part of this mission of destroying these other kingdoms. And it won't be a, a destruction because we have a bunch of guns and we go and we take over politically. It's one where we lay down our lives like Jesus. Where we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That we live to do what we believe God is saying to do. We only say what we hear the Father saying. That we're living for him in such a fashion that his dominion continues to spread and expand as it's been doing over the last 2,000 years. Please understand, we are not the first to this. That God has required many of us 
to lay down our lives for him so that he can continue to extend his kingdom. Man, when you read that title, Son of Man, it is a call to be a part of this conquering effort that God has unleashed on the world 2,000 years ago. And that we will have something of eternal value to speak of. The hard part for us is to continue to believe in this Son of Man and not allow the culture to reshape us into a, 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 a son of man that somehow is made in our own ideas. One that, that, that can be controlled by us, that can be tamed by us. One where we can say, no, God wouldn't want me to do that because he's concerned about my happiness. He's concerned about my comfort. God is concerned about his glory and allowing you to share in it. But it costs us something. And it costs us our lives. It costs us dying to being an individual. That is a cost that Jesus was willing to pay so that we could have a relationship with him. But he is not going to conform. Just like he wouldn't do it for Peter, he's not going to do it for you. He's not going to do it for me. Man, that first group of people that I talked about who are kind of apathetic towards God. Maybe they just see Jesus as some spiritual guru and they live outside of these doors. And when we grab hold of this glorious son of man. We take off those those chains that keep us from going and sharing who this glorious God is. That we get concerned about them. We intercede for those who don't know Christ. That family member that you tolerated during Thanksgiving. Man, we are crying out because we know that there is a space where he will be separated. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. When we take hold of that glorious king, then we start to do something about that apathetic group. That just is going along, just living life. Don't even understand that they're on a pathway to destruction. And when you get a taste of that, it grows in your hunger to see more people won. That is, that is the kind of life that you, 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 you see the eternal value in us dying to ourselves. Because we can actually entrust that, man, if I lose my life, I will actually gain it because I've given it over to the one who has it. If you find yourself in one of these, if you find yourself in that first group, or you say that, man, Jesus has just been kind of, kind of this spiritual kind of guru, this, this, this religious figure, Man, today is a day where you can begin to accept him for who he really is. Maybe you've had kind of these thoughts of kind of this is who God is supposed to be, this celestial Santa Claus or something like that. Maybe today is the day that you really grab hold of the real image of who God has revealed himself to be. Whatever the case may be, I want us to pray. So if we can bow our heads and close our eyes.
If you do find yourself in that first group, you would be someone that I would like to offer new life. And if, if you want to step into the kingdom, if you want to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, salvation is being offered to you right now. If that's you, please raise your hand. If, if you're, you're at home, if, and indicate that on the, the website. Let's, let's, on, on the screen, there, there, this is a time for you to accept the free gift of eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Maybe you're in here and you want to pray and just repent of holding on to traditional views, maybe something you caught from someone else um, in terms of your views of who God is. Maybe, maybe if you find yourself in that kind of category, I want to um, actually I would love for you to come down front. I'll say a prayer for everyone, but I would love for you to come down front so someone can pray with you to get past that. But family, I... I my prayer this evening is going to be that we will all behold the glorious God who comes in on the clouds, the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you so much um, for the truth of your word. I thank you that what you've done for us has truly freed us from the tyranny that the enemy would like to present to us or the deception that our heart could bring our way. Help us to see you are right. Help us to see you clearly. Help us to die to the cultural perspectives that we've had that may be blind spots. Help us to really behold you as the son of man. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.